A basic tenet of modern cardiology says that elevated cholesterol increases the risk of heart attacks. Significantly lowering cholesterol should therefore reduce heart attack risk. Statins reduce cholesterol and, in some contexts, adverse heart outcomes. But meta-analyses of primary prevention clinical statin trials for women with elevated cholesterol have found no statistically significant cardioprotective effect for women. So, is it still appropriate or perhaps even illegal to market statins to women given the non-significant effect seen in women? Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host. My guest today is Theodore Eisenberg, a Henry Allen Mark Professor of Law and Adjunct Professor of Statistical Sciences at Cornell University, and he's here to discuss the results of the findings of a study that evaluated primary prevention clinical statin trials, which was recently published in the Empirical Legal Studies Journal. Counselor Eisenberg, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, before we get to the results of the study, tell me why you even became interested in this and conducted the study in the first place. Uh, sure. My wife went to a doctor as we advance in age. Apparently, sometimes a female cholesterol goes up. She went to the doctor who noticed the cholesterol was up, and the doctor suggested that perhaps she should go on Lipitor. What gave her pause was the doctor said, of course, before you do that, we'll have to test your liver before and after. Therefore, she came home and said, why do they want to put me on a drug where they have to worry about my liver? Does this work? <laughs> and I had done some medical research in connection with litigation and tried to find evidence that not only did Lipitor reduce cholesterol, but that also that it reduced what you were interested in, which is bad heart outcomes. And to my surprise, I couldn't find any evidence <laughs> for any statin mm -hmm. that there was a significant reduction in heart outcomes uh, for reasonably healthy women. Can you repeat that last sentence? Uh, I couldn't find any evidence for any statin, that there was a significant reduction in adverse heart outcomes for reasonably healthy women. And you said any study. That includes studies done by the pharmaceutical giants. It includes the studies I think that they primarily rely on to get FDA approval, such as the ASCOT study for Lipitor, where in fact the result for women was insignificant, but it was an increase in heart attack risk, not a decrease. All right. So can you explain to our audience what is a meta-analysis study and are they better than regular studies or are they only better if they prove your thesis? A traditional meta-analysis, the analyst will not have access to the individual studies underlying data, and the traditional meta-analysis works only from the published versions of the data. And what the meta-analysis can allow you to do is to combine studies and perhaps support findings that trend in individual studies but aren't significant in any individual study, but then when you combine the analyses into a single study that accounts for the uncertainty within each study, uh, you get a single result that can point you in a reasonable direction. So, for example, suppose you had 10 small or modest-sized studies, none of which showed a significant effect, but all of which went in the same direction. When you combine those through a meta-analysis, you might well find that there's a statistically significant effect, and you might make policy based on that rather than dismiss each of the studies individually. And, Counselor, can you tell me what the results and your findings were in your study? Well, I think there are two major findings. One, I think, was known before. When we combined the five major high-quality clinical trials of statins, and these are different statins, but when we combined them, we found two things, and this was looking at the primary prevention studies. One was that there were consistently statistically significant benefits in heart outcomes for men, and what we found was there's equally consistently no significant benefits in heart outcomes for women. When you combine the two studies, you get an added result. One, significant protection for men. Two, no significant protection for women. And three, you get a statistically significant difference between men and women, which I don't think has been observed before in this context. I mean, there's lots of context where we know men and women are at different risk. And I think we kind of knew, though not everyone acknowledged it, that there was no real evidence of protection for women in this context. 
But what there wasn't before was evidence of a significant difference between men and women. I think it's important because the National Cholesterol Education Program acknowledges that the benefits of statins for women are primarily based on extrapolation from men. And so now that we have evidence that there's a statistically significant difference between men and women, that position, I believe, is no longer so clearly scientifically supportable. You can't extract from one group to another when there's serious evidence that the groups are heterogeneous. Uh, Let's not extrapolate, but let's take the results of your findings. How can a drug company support a claim that statins reduce the risk of heart attacks for women with this knowledge and this data out there? How can they do that? I think at this point, one has to be quite careful in exactly what it is they claim. If Mm. you look at the one example I'm most familiar with, of course, is Lipitor. And they're advertising, probably most people who watch TV at all or read the Wall Street Journal or other major media have seen a Lipitor ad in there. Uh, And the one that's most striking to me is one with a picture of Robert Jarvik and a picture of a heart and in big font saying Lipitor reduces risk of heart attack by 36%. And that's literally true in the following sense. In the one clinical trial on which that claim is based, which is known as the ASCOT trial, the combined results for men and women did reduce heart attacks by 36%. However, the results for men and women were different. Uh, There was a 41% reduction for men and a 10% increase for women. But the ad doesn't say reduction for women. But I think what the ad leaves out is at least as important as what it puts in. If I were a physician prescribing Lipitor for women, I would kind of want to know that the best point estimate of what it does is increase the risk, even if it's not significant. You'd want it to decrease the risk, you mean? If I'm prescribing it and they haven't told me Mm -hmm. that it increases the risk 10%, I think I'd be angry. All right, so let's explore that a little bit. Besides being angry, what else could you do for what is potentially misrepresentation or false advertising? And will you take the case, counselor? (laughs) I won't take the case because these are expensive. (laughs) And these are very difficult cases to win, but I think there's at least two ways we enforce potential misconduct by advertisers and by drug companies. One is private lawsuits. The ideal plaintiff would be someone who has seen the ad say, look, this drug reduces my risk of heart attack. That plaintiff would be an otherwise healthy woman, and she would go into court and say, I'd like my money back because the evidence that Lipitor reduces my risk of heart attack is no greater than the evidence that Coca-Cola reduces my risk of heart attack (laughs) because Lipitor increased it by 10%, not decreased it, for people in my group. And I think that they should give me my money back, even if I haven't suffered an adverse event, because I paid for something that really there was no basis. And my doctor may have read their label, which says results were inconclusive for women, but it didn't tell him that actually risk increased for women. It is technically true results were inconclusive because the increase wasn't significant. But I think both me and my doctor should have been told a bit more than they told us. And I think we wouldn't allow stocks to be sold on this basis. We shouldn't allow drugs to be sold on this basis. And I'd like to read to you, Counselor, a quote from a book. And this quote was written in the year 1865. It says, (laughs) Men who have excessive faith in their theories or ideas are not only ill-prepared for making discoveries, they also make very poor observations. Of necessity, they observe with a preconceived idea, and when they devise an experiment, they can see in its results only a confirmation of their theory. In this way, they distort observation and often neglect very important facts because they do not further their aim. So I thought of that when I recently looked at the uh, Jupiter trial, and I know you've looked at that, and uh, I was wondering if you'd like to comment on what we've learned or not learned from the Jupiter study, statistically speaking. It's important to understand what the patient's population was in Jupiter. They excluded anyone with high cholesterol, and they only included people with high C-reactive protein, uh, which is, as I understand it, a marker for inflammation. And so 
in some sense, Jupiter is not directly comparable with the prior primary prevention studies that interest me with respect to women, because in those studies, people had on average either mildly or more than mildly elevated cholesterol and other risk factors. Suppose you treat our meta-analysis as one finding, so we don't have to talk about each individual study. The studies being ASCOT all had ASCAPs and PROSPER. But we combined those for women, and what we found is each of those studies showed a substantial reduction in cholesterol of women, and none of them showed a cardioprotective effect. So now you move over to Jupiter, where you've taken out people with even moderately elevated cholesterol by current standards, and you give them a different drug, not Lipitor in this case, and they get a clear reduction in adverse cardiac outcomes. So, I mean, you put those two next to each other, and it seems to be saying, gee, if you select people based on the risk factors in the four previous clinical trials that included some women, you get no result. If you select people based on C-reactive protein, you get a result, which seems to suggest that maybe you shouldn't be giving these drugs to people selected on the criteria in the four studies, which would include high cholesterol. That is, we know from those studies statins do not work, even though they lower cholesterol in those populations. We know from Jupiter there is a beneficial effect for a different population. It seems to me that adds up to saying that cholesterol and perhaps other things have been a giant red herring in getting the right population on drugs that might help them. Well, it has been very good for business for the last 20, 30 years of treating cholesterol. I don't know that it's necessarily prolonged lives at all, but it's been very good for shareholders. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to overclaim. We're not saying that lowering cholesterol is never a good thing. All we're saying is the evidence as we see it is that lowering the cholesterol in all the former primary prevention women's studies didn't do any good. And it seems to do some good when you don't have cholesterol as the filter or cholesterol as one of the filters. Counselor, what would you tell a young physician coming out of their training that still believes in evidence-based medicine if they were going into primary care treating patients with high cholesterol? Oh, wow. This is really hard because I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd say you really have to skeptically trust no one. You need to develop the skills to be able to read the studies and to evaluate the studies by yourself without input from interested parties, because often on the face of the study, you'll see things that will lead you to treat one way versus the other. And I think the bottom line is, I feel this way about lawyers too, we need more statistically sophisticated doctors, and we need to give them the time to do the reading they need to do, rather than to rely on third parties supplying them summary information. Well, we do, unfortunately, rely on the third party coming in for lunch, showing us a very pretty glossy poster showing a 50% reduction in risk. And that's a relative risk reduction, which has kind of taken over in the last 20 years. And if you read the small print, it might tell you the absolute risk reduction. And I asked the drug reps in my office, what is the absolute risk reduction? And they usually don't know. They have to look it up. And it's usually a very small number, meaning 1% to 2%. It's a little bit scary because for example, the ASCOT study, which was the one the FDA based approval of Lipitor on, which, with respect to which reducing heart attacks. So maybe a dutiful physician gets to the point of reading the abstract, doesn't have time to read the whole article and actually think about each you know, graph and table in it. The abstract doesn't tell them there's no result for women. The only way you get this is by you know, reading the whole article yourself, which is, I imagine, rather difficult with respect to the time of most physicians, especially people with general practices. How can they read you know, the heart literature, the lung literature? It must be very daunting. So they've got to rely on things like national recommendations. One hopes perhaps more than you know, drug company representatives. 
but the national recommendations in this case seem to be not evidence-based. Counselor, in the news, there's been a lot about preemption lately, and I was wondering if you could explain how legal concept applies to marketing materials related to pharmaceuticals that have been approved by the FDA. I think two different aspects of preemption were separating. One is preemption with respect to tort claims that a drug harmed someone, so there wasn't adequate disclosure of the risks. That's not the central focus of what we were writing about. Ours is about whether there's preemption of the advertising claims of drug companies. And there, even the FDA, in its most extreme version, has said advertising is different and that they have a much less aggressive view of state law actions being preempted with respect to advertising than they do with respect to things warned about on the label. My primary concern with Lipitor is not that it's hurting people necessarily. It's that it's being sold a billion dollars or more a month to people, many of whom believe it will reduce their heart attacks, and there's no evidence of that. And I think there's a strong case that those people, if fully informed, would want their money back. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank our guest, attorney Theodore Eisenberg, a Henry Allen Mark professor of law and adjunct professor of statistical sciences at Cornell University. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM16. The channel for medical professionals. And thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Susan Love from the Dr. Susan Love Research Foundation and a clinical professor at the David Geffen School of Medicine. And you are listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.